Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand International Politics Podcast. Joined by Bronco uh, this morning. Um, what time is it over there, Bronco? Uh, at the moment, it is. I'm looking at my computer clock, which is still set to New Zealand time. It is two forty-three from yeah. California. From California, and from sunny we've also got, Northern California. Uh, Olivier Jutel joining us today. Welcome to the cast, Olivier. Morena, sup, fam? I always find it super impressive uh, when people go in and out, like under sort of like COVID, the new regime, like that's, uh, that's, that's bravery, man. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't have much of a choice in many ways, but um, yeah, you, well, you know, it's also, it's funny, like the situation in the, U- the situation in the U S is not great in terms of COVID, but it's, um, it's a lot better than it was. And it's such a big country that you can still avoid, you know, going into like COVID hotspots and you just, dying. You live in your car. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I even when I was here last year, I was like, you know, still in the world. It's just, you know, you have to be careful. You have to wear a mask, but it's not can, like. Can you dox yourself? Where are you in Cali? Um, yeah, I can dox myself. I'm I'm in a small town in Northern California. Maybe I won't go quite <laughs> quite quite the full way, but a small kind of like. Uh, it used to be a mining town. It's, now it's a, it's kind of like a hippie Bay okay, Area you, outpost. You've got to read. You've got to read Pinchon's Vineland. That oh yeah, but yeah, it's a great one. Anyway. Okay, all right. Maybe this will be my my summer project, um, or my New Zealand winter project for those of us, uh, <laughs> those of you listening back home. So today we wanted to talk about uh, some local politics here in New Zealand. Um, the National Party has swung even harder towards bigotry um, than previously. Uh, I wanted to talk about that a bit uh, and the media interaction with it, and then. We wanted to do a second part talking about uh, COVID, um, specifically in light of... Is it good the... or is it bad? It's <laughs> time <to> finally... <laughs> specifically... Uh, vanity Fair. Vanity that Fair. was Vanity Fair. Um, but, but not just Vanity Fair. A yeah. number of other... Vanity Fair did add some stuff to it, but there was some... Yeah, some a big investigation. Um, pulling, pulling a whole uh, bunch of lab leak theory stuff together. Um, and talking about the ways in which some of the discourse around that has been driven, uh, maybe not so much uh, by a pushback on xenophobia um, or, you know, a pushback on uh, racism against the Chinese um, and maybe just trying to hide their kind of part in that. So we'll get into that in a bit more depth later, uh, but just to start us off, uh, in the last couple of weeks, Judith Collins has gone from strength to strength uh, in really trying to bait the culture war. Um, kind I, I of, feel like she's just, any day I'm going to hear her say, well, if, if Māori treatment in this country is so bad, how come Ashkenazi IQ is so high? <laughs> <laughs> she's getting close. And, yeah, I mean... It, I, I don't know what to expect from her next. Well, the, the most recent thing, right, was the, uh, and, and this was like, I guess, borderline, because it's not clear like whether she actually intended this to look this way. But of course, the problem with Judith Collins is because she does this stuff very intentionally and openly, even when, it, when there's plausible deniability, it's like the, the odds are it probably was intentional, which is that thing she said to that random person on Twitter. Not random. Who, um, what's that? Not a random person. Not a random person. Yeah. Um, 
I think that someone who's previously been involved in local boards as part of business associations. Oh God. Well, that's much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Someone that is known to Collins. So this is Joe Holmes. Oh, okay. Um, right. Yeah. She's also like, like a New Zealand Margot type, um, right, kind right. of pro Brexit probably still has it in her handle, um, or her bio, um, mm. like real culture war, uh, kind of person, I, I guess. Mm, right. Um, yeah, and she said uh, on Twitter, you know, next time, uh, hopefully, uh, like Australian diplomats won't be headbutted right when they when they're welcomed in, which seemed to be, uh, you know, a, a, a derogatory term um, or a derogatory kind of painting of, of you know a, a typical custom, obviously, when people come to this country. But uh, Collins replied to that with a uh, with a agreed. I think she said indeed, indeed, indeed. So I had three of the letters right. Which, you know, again, you could say, if it was anyone else, you could be like, well, you know, maybe she, maybe she thought this was a metaphor and she was like replying to blah, blah, blah. You know, you could, you could do all this kind of plausible deniability stuff. But because Collins has spent her entire career uh, like making exactly this kind of inflammatory um, uh, language and, and, and talking points and, and not just her career, but her time as the leader of the National Party, it's kind of like, well, you know, on balance, what is the most likely thing that happened here, really? What, what is the most likely thing? Is it really an accident or is it that Joe Collins was just, you know, um, maybe thought no one would see the tweet? I'm not really sure what the, the thought process was around there, purely from a strategic point of view, but yeah. Yeah, it also came on the back of, you know, a couple of other, a couple of earlier weeks <laughs> of putting a, a narrative that the Labour government was trying to engage in Maori separatism. Um, and forgive, that forgive me for the purple report. Now, this, these are all processes set in motion with, you know, under the John Key government, right? Yeah. Universal Declaration of Indigenous Rights. Um, and so, you know, we have this sort of like weird, uh, the, the, the political space is just, is in such a narrow band that, again, labor comes in, does, does maybe 10% more in terms of, you know, whether it's, you know, not terribly ambitious benefit increases or whatever it may be, but this is not outside the realm of impossibility of what a John Key government could have done. And then, uh, you know, again, on, on treaty issues, on the UN issue, like these are again, processes set in motion with under a national party that was in partnership with the Mahdi party. And I feel like this can't really go in, get go anywhere except sort of just solidify the narrow sort of bandwidth of our politics. Because I, I think that um, Labor is probably looking at Judith Collins stirring this and thinking, great, this kind of gives us like our bona fides, you know what I mean? This mm-hmm. kind of signals that we're really ambitious and, and woke and left wing and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> right. And the Billy TK, Jamie Lee Ross crowd aren't going to go for this unless, and I guess this is sort of like the bigger issue of, um, you know, that we'll talk about with COVID, unless there's just like a massive geopolitical, you know, shift. Um, You know, I I don't see how this sort of like, you know, narrow terrain of our politics really changes. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, by and large, labor is not, you know, terribly ambitious agenda either for Maori or on socioeconomic issues are, uh, I don't know, I think middle-class New Zealand is just sort of like, oh, you know, let's let's signal we're doing the right thing. Let's be empathetic, but we're not really going to like 
um, get our wallets out and, and really think about a fundamental restructure. So I don't know. I just, this feels a little bit kayfabe-ish and not quite a political realignment unless something big at the international level happens and it, it could happen. And, mm. uh, you know, America, us, uh, sorry, Australia could start, you know, roping us into these bigger political shifts that then sort of turns the table on us. Mm. But I don't know. What do you think guys? I mean, I, I, I think it, what you say about this being a step back in some ways from, from the key government is, is true because I think he made a pretty conscious decision that, that he would not wage a culture war over Māori and, and, and treaty issues, that he was just sort of going to basically go along with the prevailing direction uh, in, in that respect. Um, and I, to me, it's, it's kind of like a grasping at straws. Like it, it reads to me kind of like one of these things that happens to parties when they lose and they're out of power and there's this kind of um, institutional freak out that happens. And it's like, oh my God, what do we do? What do we stand for? What, how, do we, how do we win again? Um, and they start just kind of chucking things at the wall. Um, sometimes stuff that they you know, think worked for them, maybe, maybe decades earlier or some years earlier. Um, and they try that. Well, they look at stuff happening overseas. I mean, I think to me, when I look at what Nashville has been doing, not just on the Collins, but, but on the um, uh, Bridges as well, uh, I guess Muller as well, although he was only there for like <laughs> 48 hours. Um, but uh, when I look at that stuff, I, to me, they're, they're looking at what Trump and the Republicans did and sort of half assedly trying to kind of replicate that. You know, it's like, oh, uh, immigration. We'll fear monger about immigration. Um, oh, we'll fear monger about separatism and, and wokeness. Um, and none of it's working. Uh, but I guess that's that's what they figure. You know, this is the the way things are going in the rest of the world. I mean, what what to me, what they miss is that, and I think we discussed this last time we talked, they've taken on the kind of liberal interpretation of why Trump won and... and right. um, which is that, oh, it's because he was racist and, yes, and he was the, sexist. It's the, it's the Kushbaum tweet. We're going to have to take a deep look at ourselves and become more racist. Right, right. Whereas, you know, to, I, to me, and, and I've argued this before, and I think we probably more or less agree on this. Yes, Trump is all those things, but and, and some people did vote for him for those things, but a lot of people voted for him because they kind of liked the other stuff he was, he was selling, you know, the, the bring back jobs from China, all that kind of stuff. And they said, well, you know, yeah, he also is kind of a, a bigger and a, and a dick, but um, I'm going to look past that because some of this other stuff sounds good. Um, but they haven't figured that out. They haven't looked at that aspect of his program. Here's a question for y'all. Do we have any sort of like, uh, I don't know, I mean, obviously not Bomber Bradbury, but do we have any sort of like post left realignment trolls in the New Zealand discourse, which is of <laughs> course a laughable concept, but like, you know, who's our... I don't know, Matt Taibbi or, or Glenn Greenwald, <laughs> the notion that like, yeah, uh, working class politics is, is, is cultural politics. And, you know, listen, I could maybe at some point see a scenario in which uh, labor's socioeconomic, you know, I mean, the last budget just become, gets completely absorbed by other economic forces. I mean, I have a neighbor whose rent has gone up $250 a week, you know, just uh, shit like that. And that um, kind of treaty obligations become sort of like HR signaling and virtue middle class mm. type politics. Like, you know, maybe that could happen. I'm not saying that's happening now, but 
but you know, it's still a long, long process to go. Are there anybody uh, in the sort of New Zealand media sphere that are, is sort of like stoking this sort of, yeah, let's have a realignment? I feel like maybe like Bomber Bradbury and, and... Oh, really? Is that that already? Uh, I don't think he's, he's quite there, but like, I think that's probably the closest thing we would I think have. They, they like, want to try and be there, but they're not good enough. They're, they're just not, they don't have the talent. And I think to a lesser extent, I think this would be uncharitable to, to really describe him this way, but I think Chris Trotter has a little bit of that in the sense of I think he takes some kind of older positions that are now a little bit more unpopular when it comes to things like more cultural issues. Um, but I wouldn't describe him as someone who's like kind of a, you know, doing this deliberately to, to um, you know, stoke outrage or whatever. Right, right. So they'd be more likely to, to join whatever left-wing political party that we keep fantasizing about on the left <laughs> than, than to do this yeah, thing that, that like, no, actually national is the working class. Because we, we know that is... Last right. We know the, 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 the party of the cockies and all that history. And at the same time, again, I, I don't see National ever really getting that Billy TK, Jamie Lee Ross, you know, real red pilled stuff either. So I feel like, again, unless the Cold War gets hot tomorrow, um, mm. you know, this is this is uh, that uh, cat won't fish, that dog won't hunt. <laughs> Put in your stupid old timey politics, James Carville uh, metaphor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 there is like, it is more laughable to try and do that in New Zealand context. Mm. I don't know why exactly. There's something about the fact that, well, for one, I guess the Republicans at least, you could say that Trump, even though he governed as a normal Republican, towards the end of his administration because of COVID, he did some things that were like shocking for a Republican to do. Things like signing the checks, um, the, the, the uh, $1,500 checks, uh, or um, the, the, the eviction ban and some other things. Um, so you could make the case, I mean, that's, that I think is why a bunch of voters went to, to him in, in 2020. Um, National hasn't really shown any inkling to, to, to move. I mean, again, Trump was forced into that by an emergency, so he didn't do it either um, for three years. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really see any sort of movement uh, on that front of national. And so it's like with Trump, at the very least, they could sort of point to that and be like, well, you know, he did some things for, you know, very poor and, and working class people. Uh, that no one else had before. National, eh, no, not so much really. What I think one of the wokeness, I guess. I think one of the ways that it is working for Collins, um, that mm. kind of more more Trumpian approach. Um, not not with the public uh, as of yet, but keep in mind as well that often the National Party has indulged in this closer to an election, and she's going to be doing this mm. for three years. You know, <laughs> she's got a long time to uh, to play this tune, um, and the media also will get bored of labor and they already are. Um, mm. And the result of that is they will start just publishing stuff that national says. Um, they are more likely to, to pull the, the Overton window than labor are in some respects. Um, mm. Labor are then more likely to get pulled by that um, a, as an election comes closer. Uh, and that's somewhat worrying to me, but uh, that aside, I think the main thing that Collins has been doing that, that mirrors Trump is using some of these outbursts as loyalty tests with her caucus. Mm. Um, and, you know, you had, I think it was Matt Ducey on, on radio, um, 
saying he didn't um, understand the question around the, is a hongi a headbutt? Um, like, oh, hmm, I wonder. Oh, that's something I'll have to think about um, <laughs> ra- rather than coming out against it because they're so eager to show that they're not going to step out of line uh, with the party leader. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, it's becoming more tangible now. You're getting more of these just ridiculous interviews where MPs are being questioned uh, directly about Col- what Collins is saying and they're just, they're just tripping over themselves. But you'd already seen that previously with some pretty nasty stuff being said, um, mm. like quite racist stuff being said by, by Collins and other um, kind of shadow cabinet people. And none of the supposed liberals and, and national are speaking out about it. Um, and, and you see, you know, on, on Twitter, like people going, oh, X and Y are, are, are good people. Um, I know that inside and in private, they really hate this rhetoric, but they're not, they're not in the, the media about it. They're not, when they're asked about it, they're not saying, yeah, I don't want us to be a racist party. Uh, Which is funny because even the, the anti quote unquote anti-Trump Republicans who I want to make clear, I, I think, and are complete frauds, uh, just utterly shamelessly use Trump as a way to sort of uh, uh, improve their own reputations. But, but even shout they, out, at the really- Shout out to George P. Bush. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, the, the unknown Bush, who was just waiting, biding his time until, until he could make the biggest splash. Um, but, you know, even those guys, like for the the tiny irrelevant little bit of resistance quote unquote that they did they did actually say things like you know oh i think what trump said was racist or i think what trump is doing here is bad i'm still going to support everything he does but i i don't like this like the the national mps who apparently disagree with this stuff in private and are uh, appalled by it uh, aren't even willing to to go that far so they're um, all ted cruz all national mps are ted cruz (laughs) just like oh let's not go with collins you know as she's coming towards (laughs) the um the leadership of the party and then since then just like i'm on the phone banks you know i'm i'm just (laughs) laying myself out at her feet well why would Oh, sorry. Sorry, Olivia. No, I was just really, I remember uh, John McCain was uh, of all the purple state Republican senators was number one. So John McCain was Ted Cruz. He voted with Trump 85% of the time or something like that. He was of all the, yeah. So, um, but I think the thing that's missing in all this is some kind of cyber operation seeding the sort of social media sphere of, of the Collins prophecy. Right. I mean, like you do need a certain for this to work. You do need a certain chunk of the electorate that in our kind of this is this is this sounds this sounds pathetic to say, but it's just not in the New Zealand national character to go so kind of ham for this kind of stuff. It just really isn't. And that's why uh, he won the middle class squishes and Mm -hmm. Ardern will hold on the middle class uh, squishes for a really long time and they determine our politics totally. Mm. Um, and, and I just can't see uh, a red hat movement for Judith and the, the far out freak out people know that national has been the mechanism that, you know, whether it's taking out Colin Craig or whoever else, like they've existed to beat back that really sort of pilled uh, part of the electorate. So again, 
where can she go with this? I um... Yeah, I think you're right. I think New Zealanders have this really weird range of hearing where dog whistles, fine. To- totally okay. Dog whistle all day, we'll hear it um, and we'll come running. But if, you, if you're yelling at us, if you're yelling um, at us to fetch or some shit, like, sorry, don't hear that at all. <laughs> well, um, while we're on the topic of national and we've mentioned some, some national MPs, maybe we should talk about the other thing that's kind of plaguing our uh, right-wing party, major party here in New Zealand, which is um, just a, a, a series of scandals around uh, MPs that also, uh, at least one of which involves Collins or maybe doesn't. Um, I, I guess we'll start with that one. I guess uh, the, the, I was going to say the big scandal, but I mean, really, the, it's, it's one of the, the, the big ones that um, dominated headlines for uh, the past few weeks was uh, Nick Smith um, retiring um, because of a verbal altercation, uh, quote unquote, uh, with a staffer. Apparently, he was quite abusive and rude uh, verbally to a staffer, and then he was uh, complained about. Um, and he resigned. Now, the, the, the bit of palace intrigue here is that supposedly uh, Judith Collins called him up um, and told him, hey, there's going to be a story that comes out about you. Uh, that, that, that I, I think, maybe, I don't know if she said Tova O'Brien or this was surmised later, but, you know, Tova O'Brien was going to report this thing. And so just, just you know, have that in mind. Uh, and I guess the the, the, the implication being maybe it's time to call it a day uh, rather than be hit with a story. So he retired and then no story came forward. And so you have to wonder <laughs> what exactly has gone on here. I'm totally cause... fine with this, by the way. I, I think it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Oh, it's incredibly entertaining. I mean, it, it relates to absolutely nothing. It's completely unimportant to the day-to-day realities of most... Uh, These fuckers can eat each other as much as they want. Yeah, but it is entertaining. And it is, I mean, it does show you the dysfunction that is reigning within this party right now as it's out of power and trying to decide what the hell do we do? Um, what, what are we going forward? But anyway, so that was the first scandal. So I don't know, what, what do you guys think? Did, did Collins push out next month? Well, who, who, leaked, who leaked the story that she leveraged? Of- no one, as far as we know, because nothing's happened. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, I, mean- I-, I hate to think that... Uh, <laughs> that someone could plausibly assume that that Tova is like that much sort of on the sort of trading on the take here in terms of, uh, yeah, leveraging information, back scratching, all part of this sort of, uh, yeah, political kayfabe. That would be, that would be a little bit, I, I would hope that this is somebody who just lives for that that whole kind of press gallery style of, of politics that we do here, of political journalism that we do here. Um, but yeah, no one can confirm whether or not she had actually spoken to journalists about this, uh, Judith. Uh, who knows? I mean, you know, the, the, one of the things that makes me doubt it is that uh, if this is like an intentional power move from her, well, it's quite a, a, a tactically savvy little maneuver to pull off. But where, where do we see this anywhere else? Like, it only, it only just... works as well if the other person's a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> right, right. Also, well, like, it's incredibly just, bad happened. Does Collins save her like strategic genius for just just maintaining order and maintaining her I think role within the national party? Text, is that where she uses take it? Take a step back from strategic genius and just call it like base cunning, right? Right. Um, well, which sure, doesn't tend uh, to like, um, you can't really scale that up in the same way. 
Sure, but like, where is it anywhere else? Like, it's like, you, wouldn't this be better used, you know, against your um, ostensible political opponents? Uh, you are the opposition, right? Uh, so I don't know that. I mean, on the other hand, it could be that you know, Collins is just someone who's very well versed at, yeah, at, at doing this kind of sniping within the national party, not so much outside it. Consolidating power to do what? Basically. I mean, that's, mm. and that's why it remains, I guess, uh, and this is Francisco Hernandez talked about, now I know what he's talking about, like, this is very uh, Iannucci kind of, but like Kiwi Iannucci, which, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like, maybe there's a good market for that kind of thing, which is like, uh, yeah, a, a nest of vipers, but with just sort of like, you know, uh, Reese Darby affectations, like, maybe <laughs> that is like the perfect sort of... Um, uh, absurdist comedy, but that's, yeah, that's definitely what it feels like. Yeah. Well, I, I think the other thing to say about the Nick Smith thing is that apparently, uh, he was known for being awful to staff. Yeah. For it's a huge, decades. Like, uh, kind of faux mea culpa from, uh, different political insiders and media like, oh man. And it's not just national. We can't just all attack national for this. Like, okay, cool. Can yeah. some of you talk about it? Cause you clearly know what's happening in there. The, the worst case, worst kept secret. I'm sorry. Uh, in, in parliament, uh, according to, to news reports. And it's like, well, if it was that bad a secret and everyone knew about it, why did we really find out about it now? Secondly, I mean, it's Nick Smith. It was, he's not like, the king of the national party. What was he? He clearly did not have some sort of crucial uh, bit of blackmail or power that he was using to like stave off anyone getting rid of him. So clearly, people were just fine with him doing this. And, um, and Miles doing than, a, a range of like different, pretty bad stuff over the last mm. like almost three decades that he's been uh, an elected representative. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, obviously that you take that into consideration and you have the other scandal that happened about the same time, which was the Nationals former Upper Harbour uh, candidate, right? Um, Jake Bizant, um, who always to me sound, sounds like it's, it's Snoop Dogg um, pronouncing a completely different name. Um, but like, and he turns out to have been engaging in revenge porn and, and quite bizarrely pretending to be his ex-girlfriend's to have cyber sex with uh, other men uh, and then get their intimate photos from them. Very, the whole thing is very bizarre to me. Uh, I don't really know what is going on there. But anyway, so that's what, that's what was happening as well. And, and apparently they, they had been warned, not so much about that, but National had been warned that he had embellished his CV and, and lied about some things and some other red flags. And uh, National Party uh, chairman, Peter Goodfellow, was like, uh, no, no, it's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll vouch for uh, so clearly there is a tolerance for a certain kind of shitty behavior uh, in, in the National Be, Party. Beyond Maybe it's tolerance, in the Labour Party even, too. I would say. Beyond, What's that? Beyond just tolerance as well. Like, even after knowing some of these things, um, it, it was almost like, we have a choice between, you know, this person and someone else. We're actively going to choose the person that we know there are, like, issues with. Yeah. And then you think yeah. about Jamie Lee Ross... Uh, so other scandals. The, I'm I'm googling the uh, who was the guy that was uh, a drunk asshole to some wait staff. I mean, they make him Aaron Gilmore. Determined. Aaron, Aaron Gilmore. Gilmore. I was right. always googling Wigmore. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but but they, they listen. They make him just seem. Uh, hey, it's just a lad being a lad. I or by comparison to this level of just incredibly, uh, you know, 
my God. I mean, that sort of, uh, actually, shout out to, um, who was the act party guy that was a grave robber uh, taking the identity of dead children? Oh, David Benson Pope. No, no, nope. no, 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 that's that a labor. That was, vol- no, that's my, that was like, no, no, that, who was it? That is my, you will properly address my councilman as a ball and gagger, please. <laughs> but what, um, yeah, who of, was of it? High school students. It wasn't uh, David. Yeah, I, it, it was definitely no. David. I, but we're, the we're, at the is... level, we're at the level of vampiric here, like this kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, again, makes Aaron Gilmore seem like, yeah, uh, upstanding member of society. And you have Todd Barclay, who was, you know, caught out recording staff members um, in his office and just kind of got shuffled along and then went to be an investment banker or something. Like... These people just like I move mean, in and out. They just cycle. Having done his time, having done his time as like a Philip Morris guy, right? They all start out as tobacco lobbyists. I'm I'm positive. I'm positive. Uh, Barclay from um, from Gore was uh, was a tobacco lobbyist. Because sort of like um, that's how you kind of prove. It's kind of like how Tony Blair is a lobbyist for Uzbekistan and like global dictators is you show that this is like a muscle, uh, a, a skill set that you can deploy for whatever reason, like you have no base humanity. Um, so, you know, it's a great, great sort of um, CV builder for the National Party. Uh, it was David Garrett, ah. who, who was also, uh, the irony of it all is that he was a huge, you know, tough and crime asshole. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to, to use foul language, but he was, he was a horrible man. Um, but anyway, so, sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you never know. People, are, people may, may be listening to this with their kids around. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah. So, okay. One, one last scandal that we have to touch on, I think, uh, in terms of the National Party, although it's not just the National Party in this instance, um, is the, the resignation, the very quiet resignation that just sort of was, was a, a big deal for about a second. And people were like, wow, that's, that's kind of huge. And then it just disappeared and no one's talking about it anymore. Uh, of two MPs, the National Labour, they'd both been um, uh, previously, uh, there were pretty high profile reports about their possible connections to Chinese uh, security services. There were sort of intimations that maybe they, they could be spies or that, you know, at the very least, they could sort of have some sort of links with that world. Um, it was quite bizarre to see these stories come out and then just nothing happened for ages. And then we read, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, all the time is blurred uh, during my, my, my quarantine here. But well, two weeks ago now, we, we find out that uh, they quietly resigned and have retired. And it was after a, um, after intelligence, an intelligence briefing, kind of making some sort of warning that we don't know. Uh, and, and then they're gone and it's, I mean, the matter is settled, supposedly, but for the rest of us, for the public, we still have no idea why, what exactly was in the, this intelligence briefing. Why, why were these guys, why did they have to retire? Uh, if they had to retire, but like, there's no other problem with it. I mean, was it just a problem of optics? I mean, they're still living their lives totally fine. Presumably they haven't broken any laws or anything. So many questions that I guess are just never going to be answered because um, the public, I guess, doesn't deserve to, to know anything. So we, we got to get Nikki Hager on the case here because I feel like uh, <laughs> there is acknowledged, I mean, in terms of like a guy who uh, knows the history of the New Zealand deep state and all that kind of, and, and its connection in kind of, you know, this global strategic set of arrangements as we're sort of like heating up with China 
Um, Australia is taking the sort of like belligerent public facing sort of approach. And uh, we are threading the needle. We have two of our main political parties that are, you know, essentially part of this balance act of being open for or whatever, our main trading partner, while still kind of keeping uh, our feet in the sort of five eyes network. And perhaps, look, um, perhaps there's a call went through, which is like, look, we need you to get rid of these people. And mm. that's just the, that's the deal. That's the bottom line here. And some agreement between the parties is like, okay, yeah, we're, we're keeping all our alliances. We're spinning those plates and balancing them. And uh, this is just a price we pay. I mean, I see Anne-Marie Brady taking a little bit of a victory lap here because um, in her paper, so she's been on the, um, on the sort of uh, denouncing kind of soft power of, of the Chinese Communist Party inside uh, New Zealand universities. And I must say, like when you cut languages, this is the first humanities discipline that goes, of course, New Zealand universities want to take money from the Confucius Institute, i.e., you know, they have a really vibrant cultural program. And yes, we are Chinese facing in this current, you know, new millennium. Um, you take that money, right? It's just a no brainer. It's part of the neoliberal academy. Um, and then to make kind of wild claims that don't pass kind of academic muster about you know, the kind of penetration of, of Huawei and the Chinese Communist Party in our institutions is in fact um, pretty wild. And we're talking about, you know, this is our main policy analyst in, um, on, this, on these sort of geopolitical issues. And, and she's, she's a member of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which is funded by the Australian Department of Defense and uh, AWS, the Amazon uh, cloud military contractor and Raytheon. And I forget if it's Lockheed Martin or not, but you know, so like we have our own agents in the discourse that are aligned with, uh, you know, American empire. So mm. here we are, it's, it's, it's a friggin' mess. Um, and as, as this stuff sort of spills out at the margins, like, yeah, could there be sort of like Cold War paranoia backlash a more sort of populist thing fomenting? But again, because just to bring it back to the start, like the, the, the bandwidth of our politics is just, you know, the spectrum so limited that of course this involves both national and labor, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think what's most, I, most worrying to me is that they've just stitched it up. Um, you know, they, you got our two major parties and we're just like, we'll just make a deal. No one needs to know about it. Um, you know, they're, they're just working um, together towards that so easily on some of these issues. Um, and you don't have any minor parties pushing back on it. The media's, you know, we had that one story and then, you know, you're talking about that, that DARF information previously, uh, Branko, where no one was really um, talking about it at all. Since that story, no one's been talking about it. It's just the way the gallery is so connected to those two major parties means they're like, oh, it's off the table. I guess we can't do anything about it. Right. Uh, when and there's clearly an issue here. I, I think the, the scenario that you outline, Olivier, is, is plausible. Obviously, we can't know if it's true, but it's plausible. It's, it's entirely possible that the... A litmus test. The a basic sort of litmus test. Right, that, that they got a, a, a call from, you know, whether it's somebody from the US or, or the UK, who knows, and they said, hey... This, this should not be happening. Get rid of them. And the reason that's important, I, and again, I don't know if that's true, we are, we, but that's the whole issue. We don't know. And the thing is that 
if something like that was to happen, well, that suggests a whole other thing, which is that our sovereignty isn't, isn't not just uh, uh, being violated by, by the Chinese government potentially, but it's being violated by the US government as well that we have hitched ourselves to. And so that's a whole other can of worms. And the thing is, we, but we can never know because this has been completely hidden from any sort of public oversight. And, uh, and we're just sort of get, supposed to get a pad in our heads and, uh, and move on with it. Well, and, and again, our sort of, uh, our, I hate to do the like, uh, New Zealanders drive like this, you know, but like, yeah, the <laughs> we national, do do that. yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this sort of whatever it is, the national cultural sort of, uh, you know, nobody's going to be screaming. Uh, it's, it's, this makes me nostalgic for 2014 internet party discourse or something. Right. Which <laughs> was, you know, and, and it, even made sort of labor have to acknowledge something. I mean, of course they took a pathetic, uh, both, they both sides is sort of GCSB and five eyes, but shit, we were at least in that like Snowden era sort of like thinking about this. And now it's sort of like, it's completely settled. Mm. It's completely settled. And of course the, the, the more worrying thing, of course, uh, the thing going on here is that, now that the adults are back in charge of, you know, the great Satan of the great empire of the U.S., we're allowed to do uh, Wuhan lab leak and we can, you know, heat up Chinese Cold War. Um, that's totally fine now. That's totally responsibility. When Trump did it, it was, you know, uh, it's the reason why we have Asian hate crimes and all this kind of stuff. But now, you know, Sleepy Joe's going to uh, get to the bottom of this. And I think that also is, again, it's going to kind of continue to sort of heat up the environment and create, and, and again, if we don't have our own moment as a country about like, look, here's where we are, here's where our trade relations are, here's where our security relations are, um, you know, discuss polity. If we don't mm -hmm. have that, then we will get more of the sort of like freak out, um, you know, whatever, right-wing, online extremism, these sorts of things, it has to be dealt, it will get dealt with somehow. Yeah. Um, well, maybe that's a good segue to, to go into uh, the second half of- uh, Yeah, I think that. just before uh, we head into the um, lab leak stuff, I just want to, if there are any staffers or, or journalists or you know, other media affiliates listen to this, and you know something is an open secret, um, you know, in Parliament, you know, someone's incredibly abusive, they're doing horrible shit. Um, if you know why uh, these <laughs> MPs resigned at the same time and, and Labour and National stitched it up, it's like, you're a coward. You're a coward if you don't say something about it. <laughs> I thought, see, I thought you were, you were going to make an appeal like, leak it uh, to us, let us know. And you're like, no, just, no. just going straight to a denunciation. Yeah, you are, but because, I, 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 especially for someone yeah. like Nick Smith, who's apparently been abusive, like horribly abusive to staff for 30 years. And it's been an open secret among, among staffers, among people in like quite, at quite a high level. And there's been nothing done to, to push this person out of politics, to protect this person's staff and to protect people in the parliamentary environment. And, you know, that goes from like, you know, media interns, political interns, uh, parliamentary services staff, members of the party, all treated like shit by this person. And, None of the people that I've seen on Twitter talking about it being an open secret who had like institutional power have done anything about it. Mm. You have to ask yourself why, why that's the case. Um, mm. What stopped you from stopping this person? And, and it really has, um, you know, mirrors some of the Me Too stuff where other really powerful people are like, oh yeah, Harvey Weinstein being a, a sexual assaulter and rapist is kind of like something that people just knew about. 
Yeah. Okay. Cool. You're also a you're, you're like his competing director. Like <laughs> you you had pretty good reason to do something about that. Well, they're all they're all auditioning and interning to be again chief viper of the vipers. Mm. So it's. Uh... <laughs> And, and before we just move on, I also had to say, uh, yeah, if, if you do know why uh, uh, those two MPs resigned, uh, I don't know, leak it to someone. It doesn't have to be us. <laughs> leak it to the press. I'd like to know. Hey, hey if there was a you US don't have to take saying, a personal stand on this. You don't have to be out and being the face of this, by the way. Right, right. You just need to let if, people if, know. If it was the US pushing them out, or if they really were in some ways alarmingly connected to the Chinese state, both of those seem like pretty important things for people to know. Um, I would like to know <laughs> if either of those is true. Um, anyway. Yeah, I, I want to be clear that I'm, I'm calling a coward uh, those people that did have the institutional <laughs> power um, because there are clearly a lot of parliamentary staff um, or interns who cannot uh, kind of stand up in front of the media and, and say this stuff um, because it will put their livelihood at risk. Uh, but there are also other options there as well. Okay, uh, but that, that does bring us to, uh, we, we've denounced these people. <laughs> they know, they're all the games. But the other thing that we want to talk about and that does connect partly with some of the stuff that we've touched on now is the, the uh, lab leak theory, the uh, theory or the idea that was put forward um, early on uh, in the pandemic that maybe the origins of, of the pandemic of COVID were from the uh, Wuhan uh, Virology Lab uh, and not from uh, the natural world. Um, it was sort of dismissed as a conspiracy theory and, and uh, sort of a, a racist conspiracy theory as well for a long time. Now, uh, over the past, I'd say about a month or so, it started to kind of creep back into legitimacy um, because of some, some recent reporting. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, the, the big question, I guess, for people, say, who are on the left listening to this podcast is what, what, is the, what is the position to take? Because I think there's a lot of anxiety for people around, well, you know, they don't want to feed into something that, was, that is and was pushed by Trump and the right um, that is potentially stoking kind of a new Cold War tensions. Uh, on the other hand, um, and I, I, that is a legitimate concern, to be, to be clear. Um, on the other hand, f speaking for myself, I want to know where COVID came from, because if we know how it began, then maybe we can stop it from happening again. I mean, if it was the fact that it was, um, if not created, enhanced in a lab to be, to be more uh, contagious and deadly, uh, because of very controversial experiments that were being done, that seems like a really important thing to know so we can stop doing that. Um, Let's take a but, short break. Yeah. Um, and we and can discuss that. that. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll catch you all again soon. Welcome back. We'll get straight into our next topic for today and that is the uh kind of re-emergence um of the wuhan lab leak theory as being okay to talk about <laughs> do you want to um, give us a breakdown of that bronco yeah very briefly uh for people who have not been following 
like why it is that the Lambic theory is, is, is being taken seriously again. Uh, one key point is that we don't know where the, the virus came from. We don't know if it came from a lab. We don't know whether it came via like a, a zoonotic process, aka it, it jumped from one, a different species to a different species to eventually getting into humans. The, 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 the scientists have not yet found the intermediary animal through which it was meant to go from a bat to, to, to that, to a human. Um, there's a whole bunch of other things that, that make the, the natural, the zoonotic theory uh, a little more, um, you know, if not dubious, just we, there's not enough there to, to say definitively yet. For example, the fact that at the time that the, the, the outbreak happened in Wuhan, uh, the, the bats from which it was meant to have jumped from uh, 1500 kilometers away in a very different province. Um, and secondly, it was during winter. So bats would have been hibernating. Um, so it, it's, there's not a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions around how would it have jumped from that place to uh, this place to, to Wuhan. Uh, secondly, of course, there were no bats at the, um, in the actual wet market, uh, which has always been another kind of puzzling thing. Um, uh, so, so that's sort of why, the zoonotic theory, you know, we, we, we can't say definitively that it was that either. And I think that's important to note. As far as the lab leak theory, I mean, the most kind of obvious thing that, that, that people point to as a reason why it should be investigated, it's a hell of a coincidence that the virus emerged in the same city uh, where there happens to be this major uh, lab that, that does, that studies exactly this kind of thing, that, that actually looks at um, uh, viruses uh, that emerge that anticipates future pandemics that actually coronaviruses does, in particular yeah, coronaviruses yep yep uh, does gain of function research aka they sort of genetically tinker uh, with viruses to try and uh, make it more contagious maybe more virulent um, so they can sort of anticipate when the next pandemic is going to come hell of a coincidence um, there's a few other things, you know, initially the reason why it was dismissed as a conspiracy theory, there was this big letter in Lancet signed by a bunch of scientists saying it's not, it didn't come from a lab, it's a conspiracy theory, that's not true, so on and so forth. And that was cited widely. Um, since then it emerged that the person who organized that letter uh, was um, the head of a, a, a company uh, that got a government grant to do exactly this kind of research in Wuhan. Um, and they, even though, you know, they said in the letter, we have no conflicts of interest. That was not the case. So that's, that's very odd. Um, you know, secondly, there was, there, there were um, reports of, of uh, uh, lax safety regulations uh, or safety issues at the, the lab from, I think, 2018 or 2019 in State Department cables. Um, so, you know, all of this is, no, this is definitive. And that's the whole point. We don't know, and perhaps we never will know. But what People who are kind of proponents of not so much the lab leak theory, but taking the lab leak theory seriously, they say there is enough stuff here that this should not be dismissed. It should be investigated. We should try and see if that is the truth. So that's sort of where we're at now. We don't know where it came from. Perhaps we never will, but uh, you know, people are saying we should at least assume that this could be a possibility and try and either prove it or disprove it. One of the things that fascinates me in terms of like real time manufacture of consent. And again, I kind of touched on this, like we can, we can do this now because the adults are back in charge. And um, it's just how quickly, like whether it's Fauci or some sort of, you know, 
like uh, oracle of, of science um, is able to declare, this is the word, this is the decree. And then, right, if you fall outside of that, maybe we got to like think about shadow bands, deplatforming, whatever, you're outside of like the scientific consensus community. And then now we can actually go back and re-edit uh, Washington Post headlines, right? Like they're doing that. They're doing that. The very <laughs> historical record, the things that, you know, journalistic, you know, measure of how we are sort of, you know, agents or practitioners of truth, right? Producing the historical record, we can actually go back and, and change all that. So um, the pliability of this is worrying to me, how this is uh, plugging into you know, Joe Biden's sense of we will not let China surpass us. That also concerns me. The fact that, I mean, of course, it's very conceivable, as you say, and we can go back to, again, I know that like this makes me some sort of uh, pilled, dangerous online person to say, yeah, Fort <laughs> Dietrich and the bubonic plague dropped on North Korea and Lyme disease and all. Yeah, of course, I can believe it. Look at these examples. And that would, again, require that we have a journalism and an international sort of scientific framework that could discuss these at a genuine sort of like international collaborative for the sake of the species, we must find these. The reality is, is that journalism, these types of investiga investigations will be weaponized, right? They will be weaponized. And I'm not here to say, let's not find out what happened, but the, the tools with which we have to do that are just so part of this Cold War that I, it, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't feel great. Mm, and to yeah. see, again, the snap of the fingers, the memo goes out, and now we're all doing this inside. The, it has, again, which makes me a pilled, bad online person, <laughs> it has very sort of like, you know, mockingbird kind of handled media manufactured consent elements going mm. there. And I just, it's just yeah. a big bummer for me. Oh, I think I, mean, I think from the left especially, um, it becomes really difficult, right? Because we can't just go, oh yeah, fall in with um, post-Trump uh, right-wing elements. Uh, so prior to this Vanity Fair uh, article, you had a whole bunch of um, people coming out and starting these these discussions again, like, oh, why is the um, Lably back on the table, yada, yada, yada. And they're quoting Tom Cotton, of all people, as being a source. Like, oh, Tom Cotton might have had it right. Um, and I was really taken aback by that. I was like, okay, cool. Like, maybe that, maybe this does need to be investigated again, or maybe this should be back on the table. But you need to give me a reason for that. And uh, this, this dude is not it. Uh, and, and then it turns out that perhaps the reason that some of this started getting pushed is because this large Vanity Fair article, which actually does some really good investigative journalism, uh, was starting to kind of get its fingers into, into the state. So there was kind of forewarning um, from people at, at the Post or wherever is publishing these uh, kind of uh, right-wing puff pieces that they needed to get something out um, and start trying to mold the narrative. So I, I have a few responses to that. I think one, if this has been compared to some of the Iraq war WMD stuff, um, where basically the media recycled stuff that was fed to them via the, the Bush administration uh, to gin up a war with Iraq. Um, I, I don't really see this as, as comparable, um, uh, or, or I guess analogous is a better word, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that 
by the time the Iraq WMD stuff was going on, uh, there was there was already a push for war happening, and the WMD stuff was being pushed in the context of this is the reason why we need to strike. Um, and it was done wholeheartedly by, by basically the entire media class, very little dissent um, within the press uh, towards this narrative. With the lab leak theory, it was a bit different because what we know now from the Vanity Fair piece is that within the, the US government, uh, there was actually a, a push to, to stifle it and to say, to tell people, no, 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 don't, don't advance this theory because this is gonna cause a huge headache for, for all of us. Um, secondly, I mean, the media was, was rather than being lockstep for this, this kind of pro, pro, uh, let's say pro conflict narrative. Instead, they went the opposite way. They said, you know, because Trump was the one who was very irresponsibly and like, you know, like not in a measured way saying, yeah, it came from a lab. Then everyone went, well, no, I can't, that can't be true. That, that sounds like a racist conspiracy theory. And so that therefore it's not true. And it's only recently, not because of mainstream reporting really, but because of actually stuff that was on the periphery, a bulletin of atomic scientists um, piece, for instance, and some other writing here and there and different, uh, different, different outlets that it really started to get taken seriously again by, by, um, you know, quote unquote, serious people. Uh, so, so I think there's a little bit of a difference there. That I, I don't see those two as quite the same thing. I think the other thing to, to remember about this thing is that uh, would the Chinese government be, be implicated or, or, or blamed? Absolutely. But the reason why government officials in the U.S. wanted this to be uh, kind of uh, uh, pushed down and not taken seriously is because it also implicates the U.S., Gain of function research was highly and is highly controversial for exactly this reason. Scientists were divided over whether this was a good idea. They, they, people were saying, you know, you're playing with fire. You're, you're potentially going to create the next deadly pathogen if you do this. And actually uh, funding for gain of function research in the U.S. was cut until I believe 2017 by, <laughs> well, Fauci restored it. Um, and so it gets to, you know, this is another thing. It's not just the Chinese government, the U.S. government. Now, of course, will the U.S. Uh, attempt to spin it so that it's just China's fault if it is the case that this, is, this came out of the Wuhan lab? Of course they will. But I think it's not necessarily going to be a, such a slam dunk for them. I, I'll just say one more thing, and that's I, I think the, the Cold War stuff, the new Cold War stuff for China, that's already begun. I don't think this is going to be a major escalation in it because it's already started regardless um it's not like the capital riot right where before it happened you saw basically nothing and then suddenly you see this big push for more militarism more national security stuff um i, I think personally and maybe i'll be proven wrong but if it, if it is the case that came out of a wuhan lab um then i think probably the most likely thing to, that would happen is it would be a bit of a propaganda coup for the u.s they can say oh look look at look how irresponsible and, and terrible china is can you trust these people to run the world and then secondly it's a blow to china's reputation at, at a time when it's trying to burgeon itself as a as a, a rising world power as kind of the, the power to supplant the united states it, it it's a pretty big you know a lot of egg in their face uh in trying to make the argument so i don't think it'll necessarily lead to to much worse stuff than already is going on, but um, you know, obviously, we we will we'll see if that that turns out to be the case. Listen, we see the pathologies of American liberalism here because remember Donald Trump. America doesn't win anymore. China is winning. What does Joe Biden want? 
He wants America. We're number one, baby. We are number one. And the American version of like MAGA, excuse me, the liberal version of MAGA is like credibility on the international stage and leadership. Mm. And to give China this L will just be like Nirvana for like the <laughs> American lib, NATSEC kind of, yeah, Cold War machine. So they want this, they want this real bad. And, um, and any sort of like strident sort of, I, I actually, I, I don't want America feeling its oats. I don't want America in a sense, feeling that sense of global responsibility and leadership. You know, I want, I want Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, you know, to like go, go work on that guys. Like seriously, mm. stay out of this shit because I, I think this um, in terms of changing the culture, and disseminating the Cold War at the level, and we talked about this before coming on air, is that you know, we have segments of the supposed radical left that are like, no, I mean, China is different. It's the one party state. And therefore we must resist them. And because you know, while our democracies are broken, we're still like democratic and we'd like that to be the sort of world you know, uh, governing principle. So, you know, we got to, you know, defend American interests and our society. And our so like, I can see this very easily capturing all of the post-Russiagate sort of anxiety about um, loss of, yeah, loss of global power, leadership, refracted through a sort of like more progressive liberal democratic lens that then expedites this process. And mm. there is a lot of um, haphazard elements to this. There's a lot of, um, well, okay, I mean, that's the whole point of a Cold War is like, we don't really know where this spills out, where there's the need to defend American credibility and how in control Joe Biden or Blinken or any of those guys are of this sort of process. But like the American NATSEC sector is so privatized. It's, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, Tim Schrock's great journalism here, like 70% of the intelligence budget is like private contractors, right? Mm. And they have their own internal propriety systems that, you know, the American state depends on to sort of like assess threats. And so mm. you're really, if you're ratcheting this stuff up, you're giving that over to that machine, not just like from a funding standpoint, but like from their ability to determine cyber threats like mm. that's all in the market that's the kind of incoherence of the american sort of military industrial complex so like you know think of palantir right now think of peter Thiel and alex carp like people say it's a it's a contradiction that um this these cyber libertarians are creating a governing infrastructure and working with the state i mean i think they could get to a point where they're superseding the state and they are the eyes and ears of like the American security apparatus and they're jonesing for it with China. So like, please, no, no, I um, just, I don't know. I think, well, uh, I think God has cursed us. We've been um, very bad species and uh, let's all work on ourselves. Do better, do better Bronco. Call <laughs> well, okay. But look, there's unlike Russia gate, which well, I thought it was way overblown and it was used very concernedly to, to, to gin up conflict uh, with Russia and to, and to, you know, do everything uh, for the benefit of the, the national security state, the military industrial complex, all of that, all of that is true. However, also, um, it, 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 you know, you can believe all that and you can also believe that, that what Russia did allegedly was not that big a deal, but it still did it, right? It was still something that they did intentionally. Whereas with the Chinese, with, with, with the, 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 the Wuhan leak theory, if it is true, um, 
it, it's, it would be an accident. I mean, that's being sold as that. Nobody's actually saying, or maybe, maybe some crazy people, but uh, nobody's really saying that it was done intentionally. Why the just, hell would just China... Just to cut in there, one of the yeah, sure. really um, worrying ways in which it's being, it has been pushed back on is to conflate those two things. Right. So people saying, oh, you can't make that argument. Um, and I think that key kind of scientific argument they make for it is because there is no evidence that this has been, this virus has been directly manipulated. And it's like, well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that right. this has been weaponized intentionally. Um, well, it would make, but, it's nonsensical. Why would China release a deadly pathogen onto its own people? No, which exactly. Then, which then completely upends their economy and, and, that's, and you know, but, but why even use that as a way to push back on the lab leak theory oh, in that case well and of course but if that's the kind of crazy stuff people are saying then you know that you i mean it's just common sense you have to respond to it but like i, I think the other thing is with uh i mean uh, what was i saying R russia was done intentionally yeah uh, th this is an accident if it was this is how it happened and, and if so, it's an accident that it's not just China, but the US, China and the US are both joint culpable for it. And so, I mean, if this comes out, I mean, the, the, I, I don't think people on the left should be going, no, no, it's not true. It's all propaganda. Um, I think a more constructive way to, to, to frame it is, okay, maybe the lab leak theory is true, but if it's true, it's, it's, it shows you uh, that both of these governments were acting in a, in a dangerous and potentially irresponsible way. Not that, you know, China is some uniquely evil or malign actor. Well, it shows the, the issues with um, kind of high power concentration around decision-making on these things as well, right? Um, hmm. and, and the way that our funding networks work. Also a huge issue because no one knew that uh, Peter Dashak was even involved in this until like, you know, four days Apparently ago. Peter Dashak didn't know he was involved in it either. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, it, it really starts to unpick some of the issues with, with global capital, um, with the way that the state feeds into that, uh, with how um, unaccountable they are. for, for An expertise. Decisions. An expertise, yeah. right? It, it was the supposed experts who approved this very potentially dangerous form of, of, of um, you know, uh, experimentation with the pandemic, well, with, with pathogens. And uh, it was also the experts who seem to be, uh, we, we're now hearing that, you know, it, it turns out a lot of people just sort of spooked into giving their opinion, but some of the loudest people who were saying, no, 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 this is not true at all. It's completely like made up were people who, who are sort of viewed as the experts. And I'm, I'm curious to get to hear from you, Olivia. Like, what do you think, if, if this is ever proven true, um, what do you think the effect would be? What do you think the effect it already has had on uh, people's kind of trust in institutions, um, you know, from all of this? Well, this has become like the, you know, the identity of the current era of, of a kind of cultural attachment to post politics is, you know, uh, whatever. Dr. Fauci is this brave and noble man speaking for brave and noble institutions that will save us. Okay, right. Whoops, looks like, you know, expertise and, you know, the great institutions are just as venal and corrupt and demonic as anything else in our society. So, what the hell are liberals supposed to do with that? Well, maybe they'd like to lash out at China, right? You say it's like irrational to think that they would uh, 
poison their own people, but like Mao and the Great Leap Forward, et cetera, et cetera. They don't value human life like we do in the West, et cetera, et cetera. I see, I, look, I um, American uh, neuroses amongst ostensibly smart, educated people is not gonna be well positioned to process the failure of, yeah, their own democratic systems, their own sort of, you know, notions in science as somehow above the political, above the fray, on some sort of divine plane. Um, you know, I don't think there's a reckoning here because there's, there's not a lot of great uh, institutions to really rebuild without any sort of political notion of like how you would do that. So best to just lash out. And I, um, that's where I think this will go. That's why I hate science. <laughs> no, I don't hate science. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I, I realize my own untenable position here, which is like, yeah, like I want journalists to figure this out. And I, um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to live in some sort of, but it's, it is very strange how COVID, the pandemic um, and our politics are sort of like um, events that don't feel political, but feel, I don't mean apocalyptic in the sense of the end of the world, but apocalyptic in sort of like the divine Mm. revelation sense of like that's where our politics is right now like we're mm. we're all sort of gnostic and mystical and sort of divining truth through various little bits of fragments and uh again sort of online becomes this weird astrological sort of science that that we use to sort of divine all this and so i mean i don't think anyone has any bearings right now like that's mm. the that's the real challenge of this moment and Yes, in a perfect world, there would be like a WHO meets biological weapons convention sort of, uh, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant type moment. But that's not going to happen because there's too many people, again, interested in leveraging um, the politics of, of what are com whatever comes out of this for... I mean, man, you know, God knows what, ba you know, Bannon is uh, rubbing his mitts together right now. You know, like this is just, it's just, a, it's a perfect moment for too many of these sorts of diabolical well, actors. And it's that alongside that, it's that group of people that want to leverage it. And there's also the group of people who just don't want anyone to know about it. So, <laughs> you know, right. like those two things, like, even if they're not working directly with each other, they work, the same outcome occurs. Mm. That's right. Well, I think also the other thing that this has uh, made clear, uh, not that it wasn't already clear to me, but, but that, that if you were on the fence about this, or you didn't know what to think, I think this whole thing should really seal the deal for you. Um, how on earth can you trust anyone to regulate quote unquote misinformation um, when what is true and what is crazy uh, seems to arbitrarily change just like that, year to year, month to month. And I think this whole thing is a perfect example of this. I mean, everyone who is sort of the, the, presented as the custodian of the objective truth of science, of reality, went all in for months saying this is completely untrue, there's no evidence, uh, this, this is, you know, just a, a right-wing fantasy, conspiracy, whatever. And now it's completely shifted. And I mean, if, if people can go from one level of certainty about something to the same level of certainty in the exact opposite direction on the exact same issue within a year, 
that should really make you alarmed about this idea that any objective actor out there can just stand outside of the world and politics and decide this is misinformation. You can't read this or you can't hear this, but this is fine. Uh, yeah. So this is the thing is that uh, American liberalism and the kind of the culture of like, oh, what's my politics? I believe science. Um, <laughs> this is the, um, you know, these are the people that want to do homework for life that are so self-satisfied in their sense of, of whatever that identity is that they would like to be the ones to say, this is the good post, this is the bad post. They're the ones that can, you know, be trusted with that sort of power because it's a, it's credentialism, it's a certain kind of, you know, whether it's, doesn't have to necessarily be Ivy League, but it's, it's some sort of uh, fetishization of this technocratic um, identity. I mean, okay, just today I saw, because um, so no, Naomi Wolf has had a, a bit of a heel turn, we'll say, and um, <laughs> she's been kicked off Twitter for, you know, all this kind of stuff. And of course, uh, you know, uh, the Bellingcat um, gamer, Mr. Elliot Higgins is like, well, all right, if we're kicking off uh, people for uh, these sorts of tweets about uh, vaccines, can we please start kicking off the Assadist genocide deniers? Like, there, he's the guy who's literally like, uh, carved out his position as the sort of like great disinfo hunter, you know, the disinfo warrior who knows all this stuff. And he just, he just wants to, just like everybody else, he just wants to cancel his, his enemies. Mm. All this really is. Well, I mean, we? you know, you can <laughs> twist anything into anything that, that challenges conventional wisdom in whatever way or sort of like accepted thinking can be, that, that's basically what disinformation has come to mean in this Era. It doesn't actually mean necessarily stuff that's completely made up. Sure, that sometimes it refers to that, but also it sometimes just refers to things that are, you know, true or or are supported by evidence, but that uh, it does not happen to be believed by people in certain positions. And we don't like the way you talk about it. Yeah, this is true. Right. Yeah, the contras and cocaine on the but the, the <laughs> way you're put the, the point of emphasis is really quite vulgar. Right, right. And therefore it's disinformation. My, my favorite one has been that if you do start talking about this, that's gonna be used by the uh, military industrial yeah. complex. And right, right. Uh, if that's gonna happen then better not talk about it at all. Yeah. Which to bring it all full home, the, the, the really interesting thing about QAnon to me mm. is that they are um, finding a way to absorb and turn into sort of a new religious techno movement. The idea that everything in our reality, every sort of online encounter is, whether it's datafied, whether it's kind of connected to cyber war, um, whether it is our sort of uh, alienation and fragmentation digitally. They are, you know, their third eye is woke to this. And of course they've constructed, you know, my God, uh, an, an insane anti-Semitic uh, Trumpian cosmology, but they're at least, um, it is a, a, a real symptom of this material condition, which I think is more realistic than saying, oh, right. Uh, we'll just tweak the algorithm or, or we'll appoint some disinfo uh, rating system and allow this same sort of like machine to keep churning over. Um, yeah. So, you know, you either believe that Trump has got emperor or that uh, Alexander Dugan is standing on the top of the Eurasian mountains 
the mountains casting spells upon the internet. I mean, that's, <laughs> those are your two options. Mm. Well, that's, that's the thing I, I try and kind of point out to people uh, a little bit with, there's a lot of um, anger and kind of culture war stuff around people who are kind of anti anti you know, don't believe COVID, they're COVID deniers or they, you know, they, they just minimize it or whatever. Obviously I disagree with those people, but I've, I've tried, I've always tried to tell people like, you know, try and be a little more uh, uh, empathetic um, if you want to change these people's minds, because at the end of the day, what it is, is this is a, an issue of a divide in, in, in trust and authority sources. Basically, it's it, the, the anti-COVID people, the Trump people um, in, in the U.S. and elsewhere, uh, they happen, the, the, the information sources, the authorities that they happen to trust are ones that are telling them, you know, hey, this is bullshit. Uh, and it's the exact opposite for people on the other side. To give you one, one brief anecdote, I remember when I was in, in Portland last year, I was playing basketball uh, outside, you know, away from, from people, but it was in a park. At one point, my ball rolled towards a group of people. Um, you know, this is Portland, a, very, a liberal kind of kind of bastion, right? The ball rolled. It didn't come close to them, but it maybe came about a meter away. And, um, you know, not only did no one touch it to give it to me, which is completely understandable, but someone actually kind of um, uh, 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 recoiled. Uh, the, the ball coming closer, they recoiled because uh, I guess they thought the, I don't know, the COVID, a COVID particle would come off the ball if they were just even close to it. And, you know, to me, I, I'd read enough about the, the virus at that point that I knew that that, that was a completely irrational and, and sort of um, uh, uh, just kind of almost superstitious reaction to this. Um, but I realized it's because for liberal people, you know, they, no, one, no one knows the science behind COVID. It's just people are reading different sources of authority. And the question is, do you believe in this particular source, which is telling you this thing, or do you distrust it? And if you distrust it, then you'll probably be like, Oh, this is bullshit. And then on the other hand, if you do trust it, you'll be like, well, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I know this is bad. And, I and I'm going to wear three masks. Right, exactly. So I think we should have that in mind when, because I think this is such a, a feature of modern life as this kind of um, epistemological, or, you know, this collapse of, of, you know, trust and collapse of, of uh, and, and actually not just a collapse, but a split where we all believe seemingly different things. And we're like, how, how on earth can this person believe this? You know, we should have this in mind. This is how. One of 200 is the linchpin. We're going to bring it all back, right? Is that the... Uh... That's right, yeah. I mean, Only if I listen yeah. to the show will you get the... <laughs> hey, we've just about uh, come to time, folks. Uh, but thanks for joining us, Olivia. Oh, shit. My pleasure. And um, you know what? It's great to do this on uh, Queen's Birthday Monday. You know, there's still one institution that works really well. That is ennobled, and that is, of course, uh, the House of Windsor. So shout out to them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if, you've, if you've enjoyed this, um, give it a share. Uh, let people know about it. Um, tell people that there's some cool independent media uh, out there on the podcasts. Uh, give us five stars. That would be really great. really helps with the algorithms. Um, or give us a retweet on Twitter. Uh, also cool. You can also head over to oneof200.nz. That's where articles go up. Uh, we have a range of other things there as well. Um, and also where you can find our Patreon. So you can help support independent media for the international world from a New Zealand perspective. Uh, otherwise, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.
relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism 